Well, good morning, podcast listeners. My name's uh, Pastor Jonathan Borman, pastor at Peace Lutheran, and I'm here with my twin brother, my twin brother from the heart of New York City, Queens, New York, uh, Timothy, and uh, he's pastor there at Sure Foundation Lutheran. And uh, as I'm sitting here, we are on podcast number seven. Is that is right? Seven's, seven's a pretty big number in Amos. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to... That's funny, Podcast 7, and we're going to see uh, seven promised plagues from the Lord today. I think yeah, so it all it's kind of perfect, you might say. Yeah, so Amos is going to turn away from his sarcasm, his irony, his call to go and sin, <laughs> like we talked about last time. And, and now he's going to kind of go to the Israelites and say, how did you not figure this out? <laughs> that um, I want your repentance, right? So uh, yeah, pretty big turn there, like sarcasm to I'm just gonna tell you the truth. Right yeah, now. <laughs> exactly. Like how, as we sometimes it's helpful, like we've done before in this podcast, to kind of take a big to zoom out, you know, and t- take a little bit of a topographical look at the landscape here like what do you see as the big sort of textual features here starting at amos chapter 4 verse 6 as we get into this here today well you it looks like i mean i'm just i'm just paging here a little bit and i see what looks to me like um verses and refrains you know you have yet you've not returned to me declares the lord yet you've not returned to me declares the lord and you have that a number of times here. Yeah, five times. Like if you count it up, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. That's five five times, which is a big number in the book of Amos, the, the, the five times. What else are you noticing as you look at this text? He, it, it seems to me, and, and Timothy, I'd love for you to comment on this more, but we've talked about how uh, Amos is, and we use this big, big word, and maybe some of these big, big words are going to start sticking for our listeners, but we talked about how Amos is pentatuchal, which basically means he's he's digging at Moses teaching all the time. And he's got a lot of ideas that come right out of the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah, Deuteronomy, he's very pentatuchal, he's very, very mosaic, as he's, as he, as, and he's drawing um, from earlier scriptures there's 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 some kind of debate about like where does amos get his material from obviously the holy spirit but also we have to say um from earlier scriptures and it's not too hard to see that um he's drawing from a place like leviticus like leviticus 26 18 where he says Mm. this is really interesting this is what he says if after all this you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. So mm. se- seven times over. <laughs> Leviticus mm. 26, uh, verse 18. And, and if, you, if you analyze this section carefully, what you have, um, besides that, five-time refrain is seven sins and they're all marked with with god uh personally doing it so he says i gave you empty stomachs that's one of them 
So famine, famine. Mm. And then he goes on, this is verse 7, he says, I also withheld rain from you. Mm. So drought, drought, um, plagues, right? And then uh, go on a little, this is number three. So many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. So then we have agricultural. This is agricultural plague. Is this starting to sound a little bit like Egypt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say you, Locus. you, you use that word plague. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so then you get into number. This here's number four. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed. Here's number five. I killed your young men with the sword. Ooh, that's. That's no good. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your your camps. And then you have number seven. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. That's another Pentateuchal thing. Genesis yeah, you have had. all these. He's just he's just really dealing out Moses right now. And and Jonathan, I think we have to get how huge this is when we talk about old covenant and you know, the covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai, he said, look, I'm going to give you the promised land. If you obey these laws, you're going to get sevenfold blessing. But mm. if, you, <laughs> if you don't, you're going to get a sevenfold curse, and these curses are going to look like this. And then Amos says, if you analyze your recent history, O Israel, you will see that God has given you the sevenfold curse. You see mm. that? So, like scripture, there's this unity of scripture that Amos is is showing us here. So, like when God makes a threat, it's not empty. It's Whoa. not empty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and it's and it's more. I mean, we can talk about that in a narrow sense. Like here, God is certainly bringing to bear. Um, what what's often called in the Bible the promises and also the threats here of the old covenant, but I think for our listeners too, it's worth thinking through um, this idea that that Scripture is just one big unit, and all of it is teaching and doing the same things, not just the Old Testament but also the New Testament. So really, Scripture is one big harmony. And all of these prophets and all of these writers and all of these evangelists and apostles are really drawing from the same well, which ultimately is the Holy Spirit, but they never contradict each other. Never, yeah. Not not, not once you can't find Scripture contradicting itself. In, in fact, Scripture builds. It builds and builds and builds on itself until you find this amazing culmination in Jesus Christ our Lord, where you see the ultimate um, taking of the firstborn on the cross for sin, and mm. and uh, then you see the ultimate uh, release from sin as well. In so you have this, Jesus you Christ, have, you have um, this this covenant. We it's often called the old covenant, where we and we we talk about this using language like this. We say it's bilateral. So there's, it's a two-sided covenant. Um, you, it's an agreement. It's a binding agreement. Be, he, and where God says, look, this is what I want you to do, and this is what I'm going to do. 
and if you break it, I'm going to get you back. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a contract. We we often sign contracts like that still today. You do this for me, and I'll do this for you. So like if you're buying a car, you know, you sign a contract, and there's this agreement that you're going to give money for the car, something like that, and that's exactly the covenant that God made with Israel. You do this for me, and I'll do this for you. It's um, this it's this quid pro quo thing, mm-hmm. right? And so the threats of the covenant, it's like this uh, covenant lawsuit that the Lord is bringing against Israel here, and yeah, and He's saying, "I, I, you broke the you broke the covenant. I brought the plagues, and you still haven't returned to me. Like, get a clue. Yeah, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen next? You haven't you haven't turned at all. And I mean, Timothy, what is that? idea so god sends all of these uh okay you broke the law and here are the consequences and i already told you about the consequences through moses and here's what all these things happened and now i'm meeting out the consequences but you haven't turned what so what is this idea turn so turning 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 that it's such a huge word you have not returned to me so we we have a big church word for this called repentance. Mm. And, and what it means is, is to turn. And ultimately, that's what God wanted for Israel. He, 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 he just wanted them to turn and see that he wanted to be their God. And, and they just wouldn't turn. Not so, even God's sending these messengers, he's sending these plagues, and they just will not turn. What are they supposed to turn to? I mean, is Amos saying, I want you to turn to better behavior, turn to uh, quit doing these naughty things? Is that is that the turn, like from naughty behavior to good behavior? What's the turn? <laughs> you seem to think that you know what he wants them to turn to. I'm asking you. I I'm mean, pushing he, on you right if now. If you put it in, into the into the talking about covenant, he he wants them to turn to him so that he can just pour out his blessings and and he can make their crops grow and make these mountains that uh, flow with wine and and milk and honey like the old testament Mm. says and he just wants to be good to them but how can he be good to them when they turn to the false gods and when they oppress the poor and when they uh they have this economic system that takes advantage of others so he's drawing people back to himself that's That's the turn he's drawing people back to himself and sometimes he has to take a two by four to our lives to do it yeah, and I, and we talked about the unity of Scripture before. I mean, this is what the New Testament says, too. Like, God is this loving Father who disciplines us. And so when God sends hard stuff into our lives, when he, when he puts his hand on us and, and, and things are going wrong, that's, that's, you've got to hear that as a call to repentance. It's really a call to turn. Yeah, to turn and say, Lord... You are my Father in heaven. I forget, have mercy on me, a sinner, and um, be the kind God that you are. Yeah, and and to and how kind is He? Like, why why would we turn to Him? One of the things we have to remember that um, 
uh, you, you're going to want to holler at me maybe for this, but in some ways, when we call the Old Testament the Old Testament, um, it's a bit of a misnomer because there's really just one big testament, one big covenant that God has made with people. And it's actually not bilateral. So we're just talking about how good God is, right? Like, the, And the Apostle Paul draws this out from Scripture, like, Actually, this this bilateral covenant or this two-sided covenant that Moses set up was never the main point. <laughs> and it's you not know, even the oldest covenant that there is. Yeah, it's not really the old covenant. Like, and, and that's what Paul that's what Paul says. He says, "Look, uh, God's the covenant that He's always had on His heart predates Moses' covenant by four hundred thirty years." <laughs> that's right. Yeah, by f- yeah. by four centuries, and so the covenant. So why do we call it the new covenant then? Yeah, because it's yeah. better. Yeah, right, right. It's, it's new. Covenant. It's new in quality. Yeah, you might say. Yeah, it's a qualitative thing, right? So, and the new covenant is so beautiful, and of course, it's a it's rather a big deal to Jesus. You know, <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he, you might say, like he says, "I'm here." for a new covenant. And when he announces it, he says, here it is. It's it's my body and it's my blood and it's given for you. This is the new covenant. It's the forgiveness of sins. So this is something that God just does one-sided. It's He just decides to forgive. Even, yeah, he, even before we turn to him. Yeah. Which is yeah. A, a really While cool we're thought. still in our sins. Yeah. So like in Amos... It, you know, we're going to have to ask for patience. But in in Amos chapter 9, God's going to revoke all of this, and he's going to say, you know what, I'm, I'm turning back to you. I'm turning mm-hmm. back to you. He's going to turn again. And some people think it's like this Disney ending to the book. Like, oh, that's too happy, you know, so it must have been just added on or something like that. And that's absolutely not the case. God is absolutely faithful to his love. Mm. He, he to all, his covenant, his one-sided yeah, covenant. To his covenant, <laughs> yeah. So that's a God to, I mean, to bring it back to Amos here, right? That's a God to turn to. That's a God to turn to. to he, he's already forgiven you. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he wants to dump out his grace and his love in all kinds of forms right into your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. So then, like, he, so he, he lays out, he's got the five times he says, yet you have not returned to me. He's got those seven plagues that he, he sends. He's also got an eighth word. Remember the great set speeches of chapters one and two? Yeah. He, he, he's going to culminate this section in verse 12, this is his eighth word, and it's always surprising. Um, and maybe we can talk about why this eighth word is surprising, but here's what he says, verse 12. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. <laughs> oh. Boom. <laughs> ah! So remember, like, in our very first episode, we said this is one of the verses that jumps out, and I think for good reason. You know, why Why do you think this is such a shocking eighth word here as Amos builds on 
the the sevenfold plague. Well, it, it sounds like Timothy, you have you have God sending bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, plague, plague, plague. And then he says, to me, this sounds like the scariest thing of all. All these bad things happen, and you guys didn't get it. You're not you're not understanding the connection that I'm hammering you guys because I want you to turn around. And so I'm going to show up myself. Oof. <laughs> and so, like, let's give this genre a name again. Uh, we gave it, we, we did this again. Maybe people start picking up on these terms, but this is theophany. It's theophany. And God so, is showing up. It's the God appearance. Remember when we talked about this before? And yeah. We're going to start sounding like we're repeating ourselves, but Amos is repeating himself. Like, Sometimes it, when God shows up, and we said this before, it it's not such a good thing. <laughs> like <laughs> this, it, the visitation of God. Like ooh, if you've got sins, that's not good. It's not good for God to show up. Well, it, it you know what it reminds me of, and you think of the greatest prophet of all. You know, you think of the greatest prophet of all. John the baptizer <laughs> and he's and he's like so he's like God is coming God is going to show up and when he shows up it's like it's not Make the road be good. straight it's not going to be good for sinners <laughs> and then he, and then and then so this is what he says get down here in the water <laughs> get those sins washed away <laughs> wash those sins away <laughs> get baptized <laughs> yeah so what like Prepare to meet your God. What would you do if you've got a bunch of sins and God's going to show up? What do you? <laughs> what would what? Would, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I know what I would do. I'd put all my faith in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. <laughs> yeah, I would too. I'd be like, Jesus, I need your baptism. Have oh, wait, I mercy. Have <laughs> yeah. Cover I'm me baptized. with your blood and with your righteousness. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And there's that he's the only way to meet your God. That's returning. If, that's what it means to return to God. Right. Yeah. And because he is God. Prepare to meet your God. So we we got it's a it's a stunning eighth word um from Amos where he it's like an Ash Wednesday call, like prepare to meet your God. And then like the stunning thing is God, when we meet him, we see that he's gentle and kind and that he gets crucified. And 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 it's just a stunning reverse of the gospel then. Yeah. The only thing, the only thing I will say and just to our listeners, and I'm saying this for myself too, is don't try to meet him outside of Jesus Christ. Do not try. You don't. You don't want to meet that God. I pro- I promise you, you don't want to meet that God. You want to meet the God of of Jesus Christ. Meet, and so you trust in Him or, as or Savior. The other thing is, don't try to meet Him with your own righteousness. Yeah, you, that's like, right. Like, what if Israel would have showed up and said, "God, but God, we're." We've kept your covenant. <laughs> yeah, and he'd be scratching. He'd be scratching his. <laughs> he'd head. be like, "What are you talking about, Israel? I already sent the curses." <laughs> yeah, I know. Have you looked around your life a little bit? <laughs> yeah, like take a hard look. 
you might <laughs> see that it's kind of rotten. Yeah, yeah. Prepare to meet your God. So, and uh, then we find out who this God is, right? That's the bridge. Who is this God? How powerful and high is He? That this God that you're going to meet. Yeah, and for me, like verse thirteen. Amos chapter 4, verse 13. I think we should just read it, the whole thing. Because it's so beautiful. It's yeah. so good. This is like one of the hinges of the whole book. This is this is like a column that the whole book of Amos sits on. If, if Amos is going to come with this word from God, God better have the power to act on it, right? Mm. Yes. So this is, this is like the foundation of... The whole book of Amos, and this is this is gonna we call we could call it a hymn of creation, and it's gonna Amos is gonna do this three other times later in the book, but here's the first one. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness, and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord Almighty is his name. What a God, huh? What a God. What a God. And I think we should point out some of the features of this verse that kind of sets it apart uh, from the rest of the book. Um, And even like in the old NIV, they actually will put in chapter 5 the creational hymn in parentheses because it's just this thing that just stands out. But... What are some of the things in this verse that make it stand out from the rest of the book? This verse. It, it's so beautiful and poetic. I mean, it's uh, it, you almost want to take it to the top of a mountain or sit by a quiet lake and then read it and think about it for the next hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> That's is, what I want to do. Because it's it. going to tell you who God is. And it, and it raises your heart to the skies. Yeah. Look at who this God is. So we talk about this being a creational hymn. You, so who is this God? He's the God who made stuff. Yeah. And not, here's, here's something that we really have to, to get to that this is, here's, this is the grammar geek part of us coming out, Jonathan, but. These, this is participial God again. This is, this is the God who's active. He's present now. So mm. he's, and you can see that. He says, forms. That's, that's not something he did during the seven days of creation. It, that's mm. something he's doing now. He who he's forms. He's still shaping them. Forms. He's forming. He's creating. He's revealing. He's turning. And he's treading. So if you count that up, that's five. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have five things that the Lord God Almighty, which is his name, if you didn't catch that, <laughs> yeah, uh, is doing right now. He, mm. This is an active God. And, and look what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm jumping in on you here, but look what he's doing. It's not like he's pushing over anthills. You know what I mean? It's not. <laughs> he's forming mountains. Right. And, that, and that's a big, huge verb in the Bible, forming and creating. The last time that 
those verbs were together was was back in Genesis 1, verse 1. Yeah, yeah. Woo. The forming and, and creating God. And, and like that word form, I think that's the God who puts his hands in the dirt and forms uh, Adam and Eve. He's not it to, to, he's getting, to talk about. He's the, the God who gets dirty. Yeah, and he loves, and he's intimately involved with his creation. This is not, this is not a deistic God, you know. No, he's the God a, who puts his hands in the dirt. He's, you know, that's, he's not far away, just watching things happen. He's intimately involved with. Look, he's he's he apparently he's forming the mountains. He's he's creating the wind. And, you know, he's the one who's making them blow. He's. He's the one who's making that sun come up in the morning, turning dawn um, to darkness again at the end of the day. So here, here's another literary term. This is what we call a merism. So mm. a, a merism is something that it, you go to both extreme ends so that everything in between is, is included. So you have mountains, and those are the most firm stable elements in our world like you're not moving them out it's staying there right that's right but then you have the least stable element in the world the wind so Mm. like amos is trying to say god forms and creates mountains and and winds and everything in between mountains and winds from everything from completely stable to the least stable thing that you can think of, God's doing that. Does that make sense? Totally. He, so this is what we just call see how big this God is. Yeah. So he's this trans, and again, uh, to put this in the context of, of these ancient people, he's, he's way bigger than people want to think he is. <laughs> He's he's not a territorial god. He's not he's not a god of just Israel or something like that. He's this transnational, <laughs> right? He's cosmic the god. god. He's not like the Canaanite gods. He's just god for one people. He is the god of creation. He's the god of everything, <laughs> right? And what's amazing about him? And oh my goodness, Timothy, I, I, I don't know if we're going to have time to get into this too much, but what's amazing about this God, who's so mighty, who's so big, who's so transnational, is right, it seems like right in the middle of this of this hymn that Amos is singing with us, is he says, this is a God who reveals his thoughts to mankind. Why would he do that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he wouldn't have Why to. Why would right? he, he reveal the meditations of his heart to mankind? What does he think about? What does he care about? You know? And he here he is giving us his word. Yeah. I yeah, he he stoops low. <laughs> he, and he and he shares his heart with us. And he does it right here through Amos. This is this is amazing to me because let let me just unpack this just the for a hidden second. God and the revealed God. That's what we have here. He's revealing he's, yeah. himself. He's revealing himself to us. 
which I, I think today there's a lot of Christians, and cut me off, Timothy, if we're running out of time, but I think there's a lot of Christians who have almost despaired of ever truly knowing God. And here I am, I, I'm sitting here in the South, and I love the South. I love the South, and I love, I love the people here. Uh, but one of the things I think people struggle with here in the South is um, there's, it seems like there's 800 different interpretations of Holy Scripture. And like we could never know who God is then. Yeah, like, you know, you have this guy over here saying this is what God is like. You have this guy over here saying this is what God, God is like. And what, what Amos is saying is, um, don't, dear Christian, don't despair. You really, God really does want to reveal himself to you. And he does it in a very reliable way. And so, and I'll just say this, I'm going to say this pastorally because I love our listeners and I, I love the people that God has given me to shepherd. And I'm just going to say this. I've talked to tons of these people who have so-called different interpretations of the Bible. And, for example, I just sat with one one man earlier this week. And the different thoughts he had about God and how God relates to people actually didn't come from Scripture. So we would go over things and I'd say, well, this is what Scripture says about how God relates to mankind. And then he would, and then it was just so interesting because I, I would sit, sit back and then he would say, he would say, well, this is what I think. And it was, <laughs> and it yeah, but we're not talking about what you think. It's kind yeah, of, like, that's right. kind of that so, type of thing, right? So in the scriptures, God has given us a clear, clear picture of who God is. And even though there's 800 different denominations, actually scripture just gives us this crystal clear picture of God in his heart. We're, we're lauding the scriptures today. We said the scriptures are our unit, and now we're saying the scriptures are clear. They're, it, it, they're crystal clear. It's like looking in a Caribbean water. Yeah. <laughs> so I, we, we got to wrap this up today, Jonathan, but maybe there's just two other you know, things that God does. One is he turns dawn to darkness and, and that's, that's like a sad thing actually. So like he creates things, but when he, when he has sin in front of him, he can also decreate so he can Mm. turn. And that's going to come up again later uh, in the book. Like he's going to decreate, he's going to, you know, dismantle things um, because of sin. And, but he's also the God who treads on the heights. So that's one of those God is a warrior type of things. And that, that might be worth thinking about. Like, this comes up over and over again. The Hebrew Even, Gabor, right? He's this mighty yeah, warrior. Yeah, he's this amazing warrior. And he's going he's gonna to trample on our enemies. And, mm. like, you know, a lot of people think of Jesus as this gentle, you know, he's this... Uh, I don't know what the right word is, <laughs> but he's but they he's forget firm that he's and warrior. determined. He's yeah, warrior, and he, he is tramples on sin. He he destroys death um, through weakness. Yeah, the like that's his about. greatest strength. Um, 
before us. And, and so we have this warrior God who's also creator God, and it's all, and, and I think it's worth just kind of mentioning all of this, that it's not like God did all of these things, this forming, creating, revealing, turning, and treading, and he just quit doing it. No, he's active now. You know, yeah. He's active now. I think we got to leave it there, Jonathan. We're going <laughs> we're gonna to pick this up with chapter 5, and, and God's going to continue pleading with his fatherly heart uh, to, to turn to him. Thanks for joining us.